Hello and welcome everyone. So what we've been talking about throughout this entire show essentially is blind spots. What are things in our culture, specifically our Christian culture, that we're missing and that we are, what, what are we participating in that we shouldn't be participating in? How are we um, actually being countercultural in the appropriate ways? How are we morally capitulating and what should we do to change that? And so we're going to focus on another blind spot today. And just to recap, like one of the things that I think is one of the biggest blind spots that I think we have in our Christian culture that we touched on last episode is education. There's a misdefinition uh, of education, a misunderstanding, I think, of what the, the Bible tells us and mandates us as parents to do in our kids' education, we've really bought in, just to reiterate, into this secular sacred divide between, you know, what God owns and what he, like, will eventually own but doesn't really yet, and how we are, we kind of cozy up to secular society and don't make people too uncomfortable, don't make it, you know, super obvious that we're Christian, just kind of be quiet and... Um, don't make a fuss. So we know that it's crap that there's a sacred and a secular because God owns everything. He reigns over everything. We know Colossians says that everything was made by Christ and for Christ. To him are all things. There's not one molecule that doesn't belong to him. So that was one blind spot. We will come back next time probably. And the next episode, we're going to do a part B. We're going to discuss the book. I think it's called, yeah, The Battle for the American Mind by Peter Hegseth. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I think it's not Nick Goodwin because we have friends named Nick Goodwin. Something Goodwin. David Goodwin, I think. So that'll be really interesting. We'll talk a little bit about classical Christian education. um, Pitch that to you guys. Hopefully it'll help help other people understand what classical Christian education is and why we do it. And yeah, so that'll be next time. But I want to talk about a second blind spot, another blind spot. And oh, just to recap what the first episode of season two was, it was a blind spot of of uh, basically children's rights, children's rights, and as it pertains to adoption, and specifically as it pertains to big fertility or the fertility industry and how they're really absolutely spitting on children's rights um, at the ex- at, at, for the benefit of adults. They're totally ignoring the children to benefit adults and pulling on the heart, heartstrings of people to kind of bend to adult desires. Okay, so the two things, those are the two, two of the things, two of the blind spots that we have focused on so far this season, season two. But This one, I really want to talk about how we uh, are totally missing how we should be talking to and teaching young women, and specifically in that coming of age period, what we are saying to young women, how we're discipling them. And I'm probably going to say some things that a lot of things I've really thought through. I might pitch some ideas that I haven't fully thought through. And if you have thoughts, give them to me. But first, let's talk about what does the Bible say about females? Because I'm not just a human. 
I am a female. Everything I do is as a female. How I talk is as a female. How I walk is as a female. I mean, you can almost identify the sex of a person who you haven't seen their face, you haven't heard them talk, but if you just are behind them, you see them walk, oh, that's a girl because the way their hips are moving. So everything we do really is sexed, okay? It's sex specific. So what does the Bible say about females? So in Genesis 1 and 2, it gives the creation account of men and women. And the first thing that I just wrote down that I noticed in Genesis 2 is that God says that, or the Bible says that uh, God did not find a suitable, suitable helper for Adam. Therefore, he made woman. So the woman, the female, is created in response to Adam or the man not having a suitable helper. Helper. So that's the response. That's the reason initially, according to the scriptures, that she was created to be a suitable helper. And I know the term that some people are familiar with, Ezer Kenegdo, which I'm not going to pronounce the Hebrew correctly, but what I've been told by my uh, pastors is that that means helper against or like a help uh, a someone that is opposite of you that is the helper. So you have man and then you have his helper against, which is the female. The second thing that I wrote down is that the Bible says the two shall become one flesh. So they become united. Husband and wife become united. The third thing is that woman is part of, and I think this is in Genesis 1, woman is part of mankind. So it's not man, mankind, and then woman's over here. They are both under the umbrella of mankind, both made in God's image. And number four, they are a part of, women are a part of exercising dominion over fish, birds, livestock, over the entire earth. So it's not man exercising dominion. And then women over here, we are also exercising dominion. God gives the mandate to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. And last, they're united in mission. But what's interesting is that Adam is created from the dust of the ground, and then Eve is created from his side. So you kind of see this orientation that man is oriented to the the earth, and woman is oriented toward man. So she's helping in accomplish the mission that was given to man. So she is helping in that mission. But the united, united in mission. Okay, so kind of with that groundwork or um, foundation, what is the blind spot? So go with me back to when I was 18, 19, 20, something. I was in college. And I had just started being like formally discipled for the first time. And there was some really good stuff happening. You know, I was memorizing some scripture. It wasn't like really um, consistent, but I was memorizing some scripture. I had a woman who was helping me through some relationship stuff that was helpful. She gave me some good wisdom. But because I'm at a call, I'm at a university, a big university, most things are focused on, you know, my classes and what job I'm looking for. You know, and then the relational aspect was like, yeah, I want to get married because most people want to get married. And so I was kind of like caught up in, you know, dating and who am I going to marry and who do I love and, you know, all this stuff. And not that that's unimportant, but I just had a very bad understanding of it at the time. Okay, so what 
what was missing? Well, if you read Titus 2, and I might as well just pull it up. Okay, so Titus 2, 3, starting in verse 3, it says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Okay, so it's interesting. Now, there's an assumption that most of the young women are going to be married, and we've definitely delayed marrying age some. That's kind of, that, that's related to this conversation, but I'm, I'm not going to get into that specifically just yet. But there are some some imperatives there, right? It says to teach uh, teach what is good and train the young women to love their husbands and children. Okay, so first thing, I I I never I I don't think there was ever one time in formal discipleship. Now maybe when I was younger, I can't remember like overtly being taught this, but maybe it was kind of implied. But I I don't remember at all being trained or talked to about how, what it looks like to love my, my future husband, because likely, I mean, most women are going to get married. Most young women are going to get married. So how do you do that? How do you prepare to be someone who's going to love their husband and children? Really never was I talked to about that. So you, you could, you could argue, well, they don't really know if you're going to get married or not. Yeah, but more than likely you you are. And women are the ones that have children. So would you rather not train them and then, oops, you got married and you have no training for it? Or would you rather train them and say, okay, but if you don't get married, you you still have the tools to be faithful to God through your entire life. You might not physically bear a child, but You could still have spiritual children, and this is how you care for them. So you can still train a young woman to love their spouse and love their children. And if they don't end up getting married and physically having children, um, they can still learn the tools of what it means to be faithful in in all aspects of their life, unmarried or married. So it doesn't make sense why we're not actually discipling young women to and how to be wives and mothers. Okay. Other thing, be self-controlled, pure, working at home. Okay, that's just, I know it's going to make a lot of people's heads spin, but how much was I trained or anyone listening to this trained by an older woman besides maybe your, you know, your mom, which is obviously the what I, I would argue the most important that your mom's doing that. But a lot of moms are also not doing that. And if you move out of your parents' house, which could be another issue, but if you move out of your parents' house and are, let's say, being discipled or mentored by somebody else and they're not teaching those things, then they're not actually following through with what Titus 2 says. Are we being brought up and trained how to be workers at home, how to work at home, how to manage, how to be the managers of the household, which is another passage, but I think it's oikos despot, a a house manager, how to manage the things at home. And don't, don't misunderstand me here. 
I'm not saying worker at home, like you have a full-time never leave the home job, but that your orientation is toward the home. Like every, all, all the things that you're really doing are pointed to the flourishing of your home. And if you're a manager of the home, then that's your priority to make the home flourish, not make a business flourish, not make a, um, a, a, a different school or something that doesn't pertain to your mission flourish, uh, not to make a media company um, primarily flourish. And again, I'm not saying that you can't take part in those, but if they are actually taking us away from being oriented to the home, then are we being workers at home? Are we being trained and being faithful to being a home manager in Oikos Despot? Okay, so the older women are also supposed to teach the younger women how to be kind and submissive to their own husbands. Another thing that probably takes people off. Are we being trained? Are we being mentored and discipled on how to submit to our husbands properly, like in, in a go- in a godly way, um, to not try to rule over them, to not try to rule the household, to not try to, because I'm a manager at, the, at home, I get to choose everything that happens in my house. I get to choose the house that we live in, the number of rooms, wh- when everybody goes to bed, I rule everything. Okay, no, how do we submit and still be managers at home? Okay, so that, and that that's that's kind of complicated and you think, well, I don't really know the answer to that. That's why we should be mentored by older women how to do that. That's why older women should be mentoring younger women how to do that. And even how to submit to a non-believing husband, an unbelieving husband. I've had you know some women, friends of mine that are married to unbelieving spouses and they're like, "What do I do?" And I think to myself, I'm definitely not in a position. I can tell you what God's word says, but from experience, I can't tell you much. Like I need older women to come alongside us and say, hey, been there or I've had friends in that situation, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and this is how we do it. Okay, so there is a lack of that being modeled. Not completely. There are some really, I mean, legit faithful women that I've spent time with that have helped me in that. But it's definitely not the culture. And what I'm focusing on right now is where's the blind spot in our culture? Not where's the blind spot in every individual person? Okay, so that the word of God may not be reviled. That was the, that's the whole purpose. Older women are to do the, you know, to teach younger women in these things so that the word of God may not be reviled. Okay, so let's get into specifics. So what can we actually do about this? Okay, first, I'm just going to pitch some ideas or at least tell you some uh, some truths and then how give some ideas of maybe how we can respond to that. So the first thing is there is an assumption, and this is not Georgia-specific, this is not California-specific, this is not even the United States-specific. This is most of the developed world that, that I've been to, so some of Western Asia, Europe, and um, North America, I don't really know where I've been in South America. I didn't really ask people those questions, so I don't know the answer to that. But the assumption is you're done with high school. Where do you go? It's like, well, obviously we go to college. But I want to ask why. I went to college, so it's not like I am even. I even followed my, you know, 
the old me followed the new me's advice. You know, I, I didn't. But why is college compulsory? Like, why are we sending all of our young women to college? Why are we encouraging all of our young women to go to college? The answer might be, well, for an education. So my question is, do you really think that they're getting that? I just talked to two young women this week. They're in my house. They're talking to me how they are really hard workers. They're good writers. They're good at what they do. They're good in school. And then they've noticed that even when they pull back and spend no time on assignments and don't really try, they get the exact same grades. And this is a pattern. We've seen this happen, this issue of grade inflation, et cetera, happen at higher education institutions. And so my question is, are you really sure that you're getting an education? Um, I'm not so sure that people going to colleges and universities are really getting a better education than they would by um, reading a lot of books, spending time with people that are experts in their craft or excellent in their crafts, and building a skill set. Because a lot of people, even if maybe they get really good at, I don't know, linguistics or something like that, there's a lot of skills that are being ignored that people aren't building. So they could have a, you know, I got a master's in chemistry, in organic chemistry, and I didn't know uh, how to grow any plant at all. Like if, if every, if all the grocery stores shut down and it was like, Danae, you have got to just grow a cucumber, you know, something. I would not have been able to do that. I would not have been able to tell you how to do that. Now, I could go on YouTube and then watch some videos and figure it out, but I didn't have a skill set oriented to the home. I didn't know really how to bake bread. I didn't know how to um, to to make healthy meals. I didn't know how to buy food that was higher quality than others. I didn't know how to, that what that fermentation, f- fermenting a lot of drinks was actually going to um, pull out more nutrients for people, for my family now or for me when I was younger. I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah, I had a master's in chemistry. Woo, you know, great. But did I know how to be a worker at home? Um, I'm gonna say not totally. I, I knew some things because my mom had taught me things growing up, but then I went to college and the people that I was being mentored by did tell me some scripture, but didn't really grow me as a woman, like what it meant to be a woman. It was like, don't have sex, don't get super drunk, and memorize some scripture, and then get a great job. Why are we so career-focused as women? Um, There are some circumstances, yes, that women will need to have a job to support themselves. But ideally, women would be under the care of their fathers until they are given, that's the, the term the Bible uses, given in marriage to a man who then is going to be Um, over them, going to be their protection and their provider so that they can do the hard work that's at home, oriented to the home. Okay, so, and I know I'm going to get a lot of feedback for that. There's a lot of questions, but my my main point is, what is the pattern that God has established? What has, what groundwork did he establish for us in, in scripture? What, what is ideal? I know it's not always realistic, but what is ideal? What should we be doing? In the same way with um, public education versus uh, Christian education, it's not always realistic that someone can send send their kids 
to or to homeschool their kids or to send their kids to a private school. However, the majority of the time, ideally, your kid would get a Christian education. And God provides. God provides weights. He's he's faithful in that. So I think sometimes we trick ourselves to say, well, this is what the Bible says, but now culturally it's not really realistic for, you know, a woman to stay home and to work at home and to really devote almost all of her time to her kids and her husband. It's just not realistic. I say, I think that's BS in a lot of ways. I think that people have really end up having really high standards for what house they live in, where they live, the amenities near them. And so they end up forsaking their kids and their husband to go off and make money at some, you know, doing some spreadsheets or whatever. Maybe you're maybe you're a chemist or maybe you're a linguist and you're really doing like innovative work, but at what cost? You know, is it taking you away from raising your kids and and caring for and helping your husband and accomplishing his mission? Okay, so a lot of college students, a lot of college girls Anytime I've asked a college girl, so like, what are you hoping for? What are you um, developing in? Like, how are you growing in the Lord? A lot, you know, a lot of these young Christian girls, like they love, they, they want to learn the Bible, they want to understand it, and they're totally focused on a career. A lot of times it's these careers like, I want to be, sorry, I'm going to say it, I want to be a, a physician and I, and I want to tell them, have you... Th- Thought and I have sometimes. Have you thought about how that could be difficult to go to medical school, to go through residency, and then have children? Um, the assumption in God's word is that when two people come together, a husband and a wife come together, they would have children because more often than not, that that's what ends up happening. Sex produces that, and. There's this automatic assumption that childbearing should just be kind of shifted off until later, but we know biologically that it's much easier to get pregnant, to carry that pregnancy full term, to give birth, and to chase your toddler around when your body is younger, when you are younger. That's how God made your body. You start your period when you're like, I don't know, around 16 maybe. And then you're really fertile in your early 20s. And then it starts to really drop down after your 30s. But so many women are saying, okay, I want to get go through school and I want to get this career and then maybe I'll have kids. And then they have trouble getting pregnant. And it's like, yeah, because we've bought into, we have a blind spot to the fact that childbearing should happen physiologically, biologically earlier then we have been setting it. We have shift. We have we've twisted it. We've said I've got to get this education first, and then I can have kids. When it's much harder, and you've just basically started your career, and then you're on maternity leave, and then you're in this really weird limbo, asking yourself, Do I go back to work? Do I do part time? I've I have so many friends that are emotionally just in just crushed. Because they have this pull toward their kids. They want to be home with their children. They want to be the ones raising them, not have like a stranger, 
Sometimes it's, you know, a mother, which is great, you know, their mother, which is great, but not have like a nanny or someone else raising their kids. And it's like, I, I anyway, it hurt, it, it deeply bothers me when I see my friends in that position. And ultimately, I blame their husbands. I do. I blame the husbands because they should be the one that are protecting their wives and saying, I got this. You do what you do, what I know you're you can do and you will do the best at home, because let me tell you, you cannot be replaced at home. You can be replaced in the workplace. Someone can do that job. And in 10 years, they will forget about you. But your kid won't. Your kid will never forget about you. One of my friends told me this story. She was working until she had like full time as a teacher until she had her third kid. And then they had to make a decision of whether she was going to go back or not. Shout out to Jackie. Um, sorry, I hope this is a public story. <laughs> so she said they she didn't know if she was supposed to, if she needed to go back to work. She liked working, which most women, like you know, in, in some way like their job. And then her oldest had said I, something to this effect. When are you going to be the one that's home with us? all the time instead of, I think they had a nanny who's bilingual, if I remember correctly. And she really liked that. But her oldest said, when are you going to be the one that's home with us? And she, it was just like a shock, a realization of, oh my goodness, she knows. Like she, she, she recognizes when I'm not there and when, and then when I come home and you think, you know, we think, oh, our kid between zero and four, they don't have that much of a memory. It doesn't mean that they're that they're going to remember mommy wasn't home they feel it in their bones they know it in their being and you i'm not trying to guilt trip anybody because i was there i was that person but it is a heavy weight because it is a big responsibility to care for and rear children so let me tell you just a little bit about my story how i got to this place right now so when phil and i were first married you know, we kind of assumed we'd have kids, but we didn't really, I, I don't know if we even had like a number, but we both thought we'd have kids and we also wanted to adopt. And about three years in, I think we had, I had said like, oh, you know, are we ready? What my brother and his, so his wife was expecting their first kid. And it was like, oh, that'd be fun to have kids at the same time. So anyway, I think Phil was like, yeah, maybe, okay, maybe I am ready. And I had been on uh, the pill before that. I don't really remember when I got off, but because it was just assumed that everyone, when they first got married, would get on the pill, which is a horrible assumption. I'll just say that. Not only does it ruin women's bodies, but it pollutes our water. Just keep that in mind. Okay, so we have our first child. And we didn't really talk about me going back to work, me not. I, th I think in my mind, in some way, I assumed that I would stay at home someday. I, I don't really know what I, what I was thinking, but I wasn't thinking that I would leave work right then. I had just started a full-time job in uh, the city we were living, out of college, teaching chemistry. Loved it. Um, then I have this baby. My sweet little Asher. It took me a while to grow into motherhood, though. I will say that because I really was not prepared. I was not prepared. My fault, yes, and people who came before me that didn't prepare me. Also on them. 
So I have the sweet baby. Really not stoked about staying home, though. I will say that. I, I still I did not transition easily into motherhood. And so I think I, like, got to finish out the, the semester. I had Asher in, like, October. And then I went back to work late January. Whew. And it was such a switch because at the time I left, he, my mom came one day, drove all the, like, two and a half hours just to come and care for little Asher, which is amazing. And then I think I took him to my our sweet friend Lori's house. At the time, we, we didn't know her. She was just our care provider, a, a nanny, basically. And it was so weird because I, I felt like I just wanted to detach. Like, okay, go back to work. I just want to be back at work. I didn't really have this, like, desire to be at home very much. And I almost kind of felt, and I'm very, I'm like regretful of saying this, but I almost felt like the whole motherhood thing kind of got in the way. Oh, I repent and reject that idea again and again and again. I, I, and God has forgiven me from, from, for that, but that's how I felt because I had this conflict and I wanted to still be in the classroom and teach and all that. And while you're going back to school, if you're still breastfeeding, you have to pump. And that is an unnatural process, okay? It just is to to pump breast milk and then give it to your baby and assume it's the same thing as nursing them is just a flaw. It's not the same thing. They're nutritionally mostly getting the same thing. Your milk does change depending on what time of day, how your baby, like, your, your baby's like interacting with your body and telling your body when it's nursing, like what it needs. And when your baby's not the one nursing, your body doesn't know as much what to give your baby. So, um, yeah, you can pump. It's much better, obviously, if you can, than giving formula. But it's still not the same because your child is forming a connection with you through the nursing process. They are feeling cared for. They are feeling safe. They are establishing a baseline for what it means to be loved. And when you detach your baby from your body and then substitute it for a bottle, um, because you got to go at work, it's not the same. You are not giving your your full mother self to your child. You are separating, um, you're kind of dividing what it means to be a mother. A mother is giving breast milk. No, a mother is bringing your child into your arms, near your breast, and giving them safety and care and warmth. They can hear your heartbeat. Obviously, you can tell that I've completely softened over three kids. It's I've been dramatically changed. The Lord has dramatically changed me. Um, I used to just loathe nursing, loathe breastfeeding, and I felt like violated. And it was such a it was it was part of the sin that God was just cleansing from me. And now my babies, oh, I just want I still want to just keep them next to my chest. So anyway. If you are in a situation where you're working, you know, you, okay, I, I had gotten my master's like, I don't know, a year before. And at that time you're like, what, 25, 26 maybe. And you're like, now I get to start my career. Now, if you're going to be a physician, you're going to be even older than that. And if you're going to specialize, you're going to be even older than that. And so when do you have kids? Oh, once you're in your first year of your career and then do you pull out at that point and say, okay, I'm going to stay home now after spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on undergrad and grad school 
just to work for a year and then you stay home? Or are you going to say, well, you know, I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to school, so it doesn't really make sense for me to stay home now. So they'll just go to daycare and then I'll work and then they'll I'll work for a few years and then they'll go into school. So no big deal. And that's the other problem with public school. You just assume we send our kids off or even private school, send our kids off, then we get to do what we want to do, which is also not in line with raising our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Okay, so back to my story. Women, we spiderweb, right, all these thoughts, and then we come back to the original intent of what we're saying. So here I am, back to the middle of the spiderweb. So um, I went back to work. My job was a little different because I worked two days and two nights. So in the evenings, Phil would be with Asher. And during the day, Asher would either be with my mom or um, our nanny. And then, you know, crap really hits the fan when you have your second kid. <laughs> it just totally changes. So have have um, little Ezra boy in June. So I got, you know, most of the summer. And then I went back to work after that. Yeah, went back to work after that again, and then it becomes like a juggling act, and I feel like I'm just trying to, it's like a game of whatever that game is that you're trying to, you know, it's like at uh, Chuck E. Cheese, and you're trying to like bop the head of the weasel, it's like pop the weasel or something, because all these weasels are coming up, and you're just trying to like extinguish one fire after the other, and I really wasn't able to care fully for my kids' health, for their nutrition. I wasn't even thinking about that. I was literally just thinking, please don't get sick so that I can go to work and I don't have to call out and or you can go to preschool or I just need to go through with my day. Like, I can't have you get sick. And then a third comes and it really hits the fan then, right? And at this time, it's the whole schmovid thing, COVID schmovid. And um, mostly teaching online, which was, you know, kind of nice. But I still, I'm at, I'm at home teaching and I have someone at my house caring for my kids. And I'm like, that's nice, but I hear my kids and I'm not with them. I'm not the one like reading them books for hours and hours. Somebody else's. I'm not the one like out there fixing fresh food for them. I'm not the one that gets to put them in their bed to sleep. I'm, I'm not that person. You know, I could sneak out and do those things, but I wasn't their primary caregiver. Um, somebody else was because I needed to go to work. You know, I needed to make money. And then it's, you know, Phil and I, we started really shifting on this. And I became, I started to become through listening to people teach on the roles of women and the roles of men. Um, I became really convicted by it, how I was caring for my kids and caring for the people in my church. When I was working full time, I really wasn't able to minister to them or to my kids in the way that was the best because I was, you know, so focused on no one getting sick, which they got sick all the time, no one getting sick and getting my job done and everyone just not causing trouble. (laughs) But the thing is, kids are, and I don't mean this in a dreading way, kids are trouble because they're little humans. And that's the point of mothering is that you are going to be with them to raise them through that. Those hours of the day that they're at daycare or they're with a nanny while you are, you know, in at an office or maybe you're an engineer and you're on the field, 
Like they are being taught by somebody. They are being raised by somebody and it's not you. So, and I am making a distinction between mothering and fathering. It's not parenting. Mothers have a particular role and fathers have a particular role. Now, who's responsible for that falling through the cracks? Who's responsible for the fact that I wasn't mothering? Now, it's my fault that I wasn't home, but it's ultimately Phil's responsibility to care for our family. So that's why when he realized this is not ideal for our, this is not how we, we want our family to, to grow and to be raised. Uh, Danae needs to be at home and I need to provide a way for her to do that. And that's one of the reasons that we moved to Georgia so that I could do that and various other reasons. But my point in that is that it took a while for my perspective to shift. It took a while for me to change on that. I'm so pleased and I get jealous sometimes also, I will confess that, of women that have arrived there before me and have said, no, I, I always knew I didn't want to, you know, go back to work or work. I knew that. And I, I think, praise God that they knew that and thank God for whoever raised them in such a way that they knew that earlier, you know, maybe than I did. But I'm also so thankful now that God has been gracious to, to lead me to this point and to not push it away simply because I've grown up in an egalitarian society and culture. So I'm so thankful to God for how he's put us where we are. So how, how has it changed since I've, I work part-time, I'll say that, at the school that my son goes to and my kids come with me. And when I teach a class, they hang out in the nursery and with um, a lady from my church and then I take them home with me. So I will not work a full day like at this school. It's a three-day-a-week school, but I will not work a full day until all my kids are also in class, either with me or in, in another class. They kind of rotate. Um, so I still, you know, work apart from them a little bit, but it's everything is kind of oriented to them and to the home. And um, so it makes a huge difference. So really, what have I been able to do? What has this allowed me to do, has freed me up to do since I'm not, my main focus isn't oriented outside the home? The first one is um, nutrition. So I'm really able to think through what I'm feeding my kids, not just primarily to avoid sickness, but that I'm stewarding their bodies right now and teaching them how to steward their bodies well what to eat, how to eat, how to cook healthy food. I'm really growing in that. Um, and how to make fresh meals instead of eating out and instead of having like prepackaged meals. Most things are made from scratch now. I've been able to learn how to make kombucha and so my kids can have some of those probiotics weekly. Um, I've been, you know, learned how to make sourdough as most people do. Uh, we just invested in chickens, so able to have eggs that I know what chickens are producing these eggs, what's gone into their diet. So that's all with nutrition. The other thing is um, their healthcare, general healthcare. So how to treat illnesses. I've grown in that, just like home-based responses. I'm able to actually evaluate more and have kind of a running tab of what their temperatures are throughout the day, and, you know, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. Um, I can sense pretty 
quickly if one of them is getting sick or not because I'm around them so often. And I can know um, when, you know, what a fever will mean or if their stomach's upset, what to put on their stomach, if their stomach is hurting, how to massage their bodies in such a way that will calm them, what oils to use. I mean, there's just a lot of things in caring for their body and their overall health. I've really taken responsibility for their health care that I didn't before. And so that's why I've ended up making a lot of different choices because I've been able to read more and um, respond more to their illnesses and their health than I was previously. I was really just focused on them not getting sick and then getting food in their stomach before. Um, the other thing is I just have time for my kids to teach them skills, you know, to teach them how to clean, how to be responsible for your household, um, what it means to live out God's word in the morning, in the afternoon, and night. You know, we're speaking about God's word. What does God command us? How do we know God loves us? How do we forgive each other? How do we um, speak to each other kindly? How do we deal with conflict? And also, um, this is kind of a side note, but letting boys be boys and girls be girls. And when you send your kid to daycare, that's usually not something they focus on. They're not saying, you know, boys, you can fight a little bit, figure it out, get a little dirty. Maybe, you know, if you if you hurt each other a little bit and you're bleeding, it's like, that's what guys do and figure out how to play fairly. And girls, okay, we're not going to do that. Guys don't hit girls. You know, we're going to play a little bit differently with girls, stuff like that. I'm really able to say, okay, Asher, Ezra, you guys are mad at each other, you hit each other, you know, how do you appropriately um, argue and fight with your brother? You know, how do we do that? Vi- I, I do want you to be violent against bad things. I do want to raise boys that are going to be violent against bad people and bad things and bad ideas. And I don't want to make them into little girls. And so, and that's a lot of what our society does is make guys into little girls. So I'm really able to tailor and focus on the needs of my kids specifically. And um, again, uh, make the, make those, uh, recognize those needs and then respond um, specifically to each child and how they need that, um, that correction or how they need to grow. So those are the main ways that I, you know, it's changed me being home almost exclusively and um, almost exclusively being home instead of working outside the home. I made a huge mistake on taking a bunch of work, um, just like contract work that I did at night for a long time, for like four or five months. I made money, but at the expense of my husband, <laughs> my husband and Um, caring for my kids if they got up late after bedtime and they needed something. And I was like, hey, I can't help you. I'm like, I'm filming this thing right now. That was um, a mistake because I had to do that and I had deadlines and I just don't want to do that anymore. So um, all of that to say, young women, if you're listening to this, I really hope that you'll take a step back, look at what God's word says and look at a woman in your life that really displays those types of godly characteristics um, that are specific to to being a woman that you want. Um, And ask her to come alongside you. Ask her to teach you things to help you build skills so that you will be a woman ready to minister to her family. Um, 
read God's word with her, learn how to care for kids, find opportunities to care for kids, find opportunities to help other moms, find opportunities to learn how to bake and cook and and make things from scratch and grow things in a garden and really be prepared to be the the best wife and mom. You will be such a blessing to your husband and to your kids and to the community and you will be happier. I mean, you will be blessed in that. I'm way happier being home with my kids than I was being divided, being divided between two things. God rewards your obedience. Um, And for those of you who are older, older women, really consider changing how you speak to young women instead of asking them things like, so what university are you going to go to? Um, maybe ask something else like, hey, do you cook a lot? Would you like to, you know, come over and cook a meal with me? Hey, do you watch kids? Like, are you comfortable with babies? Do you want to hang out with my, with me and my kids? I can kind of help you with that. It is weird. It is countercultural. It's so much easier to say like, what school are you going to? But if I've learned anything in the last few months, I don't want to respond and acquiesce to what, where the culture is going. I want to always be reforming. I want us, our Christian community, to always be reforming, to always going back to God's word, to always be obedient, being obedient to that. And um, yeah, if you have thoughts, questions, um, send them to me. Obviously, I have people that like to rebut, so open to you. Uh, Besides that, blessings to everyone, and I'll see you next time.